Cambodia, located in tropical Southeast Asia, between Thailand and Vietnam, with Laos to the north. With mountains on each side, the great Mekong River flows through the heart of Cambodia. The population of Cambodia is approximately 15 million people. For those that can find work, the average income is $80 per month. Cambodia struggles internally with graft and corruption, violence, drugs, and prostitution. The capital city, Phnom Penh, has swelled to over 2 million people. This is the city where Gail and Dan Powers have concentrated their efforts in reaching Cambodia for Christ. Cambodia's history dates to before the time when Jesus walked the earth. The peoples of Cambodia most likely came from the Himalayan mountains and settled north of the Tan Le Sap Lake, near the border of Thailand. During the glorious days of Angkor, when the kings ruled as gods, Hinduism was added to their strange and mystical beliefs. Their kingdom extended through South Vietnam, north to Laos, and into Thailand. Later Buddhism was infused into the Hindu beliefs giving the Cambodians their present-day religion. 86% of the people claim Buddhism as their belief system. In the 18th century, the French began to dominate much of Southeast Asia, including Cambodia. In April of 1975, Phnom Penh fell to the Khmer Rouge soldiers led by Pol Pot. The people were forced to evacuate from the major cities into the countryside, for three and a half years, Pol Pot led a murderous campaign to exterminate anyone who would not submit to Pol Pot's modern-day attempt to rebuild the Encore dynasty. During this time, an estimated two and a half million men, women, and children perished under the brutal hand of Pol Pot and his Khmer Rouge. In 1979, the Vietnamese launched an offensive into Cambodia and drove Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge into the mountains. Cambodia was a country in utter ruins. Half of the people in the countryside now known as the killing fields around Phnom Penh were slain. Since that time, the door has been opened for the gospel to be proclaimed across the country of Cambodia. Today, Gail and Dan Powers are seeking to impact Cambodia, making these killing fields the living fields.
into the world Meet the needs for the poor and the needy God if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five. We are on our next to the last message in our channel marker series. One more message on the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Tonight we're looking at blessed are the peacemakers. Just as Jesus had predicted, our world is almost constant hotbed of continual armed conflict. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6, Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars. War is a constant reality of life in our world. At least one source I read said that there are at least 40 ongoing conflicts in the world right now. And in spite of mankind's intellectual accomplishments, we only seem to have devised more effective means of killing each other. It is said that our nation's capital is full of peace monuments. We erect them after every war. One cynic remarked, peace is the moment when nations take time to reload of course, terrorist attacks, even as one recent one in Las Vegas, have convinced us that we are not safe even within our own borders. It is into this world filled with violence and hate that Jesus sends his disciples as ministers of peace. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. I think I can honestly say this evening that I'm here today because I desire peace. I desire peace in my own heart. I desire to see peace in your hearts. I desire to see peace exist within and among all of us. And I want each of us to learn how to be peacemakers. In order to understand this beatitude, we have to begin as we have with every beatitude, and that's by understanding what Jesus means. So first of all, the meaning of peace. In reality, in this world in which we live, we do not have economic peace, we do not have religious peace, we do not have racial peace, social peace, family peace, or even personal peace. When two Jews meet, they exchange the greeting, shalom. It means peace, but it means much more than may you have no battles. Peace is obviously more than just the absence of war. Shalom is a positive word, not a negative one. When a Jewish person says shalom, they're not talking about the absence of conflict, but it is a wish for something positive in their lives. And when Jesus speaks of peace in this beatitude, he is not referring to the mere absence of conflict, but by the presence of peace. 
The second thing that we note is the enemy to peace, and that is sin. Have you ever wondered, why has every human effort at lasting international peace failed? After World War I, we had the League of Nations. It failed. After World War II, we established the United Nations, which ultimately will fail, as it is doing right now. So what is the problem? There is but one adequate answer to the question. It is not a political solution. It's not a social solution. It's not even an economic solution. The one answer is essentially and primarily a moral and theological problem. Scripture says it this way in James chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? The trouble then is in the heart of man. And until the heart of man is changed, you'll never solve his problem by trying to manipulate his circumstances. The source of peace is God. If we look at the world, the word make, to make peace, it means to do. And the point is that peace must be made. Peace never just happens by chance. But we may get a false idea from the phrase peacemaker. That means this peace is up to us, and that is not it at all. We are to be the messengers of peace. Men are without peace because they are without God, the source of peace. Our God is the God of peace. Six separate times in the New Testament, our Father is called the God of peace. The source of peace is God. There is no other source. Jesus Christ, the Son, is the manifestation of peace. He is the Prince of peace. The Holy Spirit is the agent of peace. It is the Holy Spirit who applies and supplies the, the peace of God in our lives. The God of peace sent the Prince of peace who sends the Spirit of peace to give us the fruit of peace according to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. If you and I are to be peacemakers, we must know God and draw upon that supply of peace. The fourth thing that we see tonight is the messengers of peace are believers. Look, first of all, at what a peacemaker is not. Peace is not found in appeasement. History has proven when peace is pursued at any price, peace is precisely what you do not get. At the outbreak of hostilities in Europe in 1937, when Germany invaded Czechoslovakia, the English Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain went to Germany to talk to Adolf Hitler. He talked to him about peace. He, basic, he basically gave Hitler the territory that he wanted, and he returned to England with a signed peace agreement and said, we have achieved peace for our time. The next year, Germany invaded Poland, and World War II began in earnest. Peace is not found in appeasement. Neither is peace found in compromising the truth. When you tell someone the truth, 
it is not always going to be received gratefully. Anyone in a position to preach the word of God is well aware of that fact. When the word of God is preached truthfully, it is not all that unusual to find out that it made someone in the congregation angry. When the preaching of the word of God evokes a reaction, then the message has been effective. The word of God, when given out effectively, produces a reaction. If you can hear the word of God preached Sunday after Sunday, and it never provokes a reaction from you, either I'm not preaching or you're not listening. That's why it's so dangerous to hear preachers whose message never make their listeners uncomfortable about themselves. And I know some people think that I pick on Joel Osteen. That I do, I admit. Joel Osteen, who by his own admission does not ever talk about sin from the Lakewood Church pulpit. On Larry King Live, Larry King asked him if sinner was ever a word he used, and Osteen replied, I do not use it. I never thought about it, but I probably don't. But most people already know what they're doing wrong. When I get them to church, I want to tell them that you can change. There can be a difference in your lives, so I did, don't go that road, down that road of condemning people. That sounds good on the surface, but in actuality, you can end up with a congregation of well-motivated people who have never come into the conviction of their sin and have never repented. When I agree, I agree that people do not need to be verbally beat to a pulp. The word of God, however, should convict us. And when we are convicted, we should be uncomfortable. And that discomfort should move us to repent over the sin that causes that conviction. Confession results in a real biblical peace. Well, that's what a peacemaker is not. So what, what is being a peacemaker. Although we talk about in our society valuing peace, we don't really. To be a peacemaker is to risk misunderstanding. For example, in 1993, Israeli Prime Minister Ezek Rabin signed a peace treaty with Yasser Arafat and the Palestine Liberation Organization. When someone asked him how he could sign a treaty with people who had been the mortal enemies of Israel, this was his reply. You don't make peace with your friends, only with your enemies. Many of his own countrymen sharply disagreed with his actions, so much so that not very long after, he was assassinated. Not by an Arab, not by a Palestinian, but by an Israeli, an Orthodox Jew at that, who thought by shooting Mr. Rabin in the back, he was doing God's work. The world does not honor peace as much by its standards and actions as it does by its words. In almost every age, the greatest heroes of our society have been warriors, not peacemakers. Three things that characterize a peacemaker. First of all, <clears throat> peace with God. And this begins with a personal peace with God. 
Romans 5, 1 says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who does not belong to God through Jesus Christ can neither have peace nor be a peacemaker. God can only work peace through us after he has worked peace in us. There is also leading others to peace with God. Having established peace with God, the one who has done so assumes the responsibility of actively working to reconcile others to God and to one another. Peacemakers are to make every effort to get out the good news that God is not angry, that there is no longer enmity between he and mankind, that peace has been made and the peace treaty has been signed. At the end of World War II, the United States signed a peace treaty with Japan, yet there were holdouts in the South Pacific Islands who either did not get the word or they did not believe the word that the war had officially ended. The last officially confirmed Japanese holdout came out of the jungle in the Philippines to surrender in 1974, 29 years after the war had ended. In the same way, many people today, isolated in their own worlds, are still fighting a war against God. Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not impugning their trespasses to them, and having committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Christians then are given the position of ministers of reconciliation, bearing the message of reconciliation. There is also <clears throat> peace within. John chapter 14, Jesus promised his disciples. He said, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, <clears throat> Paul says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God is not something you can manufacture or you can buy or you can earn. It is a result of a heart being surrendered to God. The only way that you can have the peace of God is to have peace with God. Individuals gain peace with God when they place their faith in Christ as their personal Savior, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, which we read. And we have the internal, inner quiet peace of God when we walk daily with him. When we transfer all our troubles to God through prayer and attain his peace, this can become obvious to other people. Paul says that it will surpass all understanding. People simply will not be able to comprehend the peace that a believer can model in times of crisis. 
two painters were asked to paint a picture illustrating peace. The first painted a beautiful picture, an evening scene in the foreground of which was a lovely lake, its its surface absolutely calm and unruffled. Trees surrounded it, meadows stretched away into the distance with cattle gently browsing, and a little cottage. The setting sun all spoke of perfect peace. The other painter drew a wild and stormy scene. Heavy black clouds hung overhead. In the center of a picture, an immense waterfall poured forth huge volumes of water covered with foam. One could almost hear its unceasing roar, yet perhaps the first thing to strike the eye was a small bird perched in the cleft of a huge rock, absolutely sheltered from all danger, pouring forth its sweet notes of joy. It is the second painter who could describe the peace that passes all understanding, which is that which is promised by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's peace with others. Paul advises Christians in his letter to the Romans, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. Now, that assumes several things, right? It's not always possible to be at peace with everybody, and sometimes it doesn't depend on you, right? But he says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. James says in chapter 3 and verse 18, And the wise are peacemakers who go on quietly sowing a harvest of righteousness in other people and in themselves. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and according to scripture will reap a harvest of goodness. The principle for peace is the same as the principle for crops. Never underestimate the power of of a seed. The story of Heinz is a good example. Europe, 1934. Hitler's plague of anti-Semitism was infecting a continent. Some would escape it, some would die from it. But 11-year-old Heinz would learn from it. He would learn the power of sowing seeds of peace. Heinz was a Jew. The Bavarian village of Firth, where Heinz lived, was being overrun by Hitler's young thugs. Heinz' father, a schoolteacher, lost his job. All recreational activities ceased and tension mounted on the streets. And as the streets became a battleground, Hitler youth roamed the neighborhoods looking for trouble. Young Heinz learned to keep his eyes open, and when he saw a band of troublemakers, he would step to the other side of the street. Sometimes he would escape a fight, sometimes not. One day in 1934, a pivotal confrontation occurred. Heinz found himself face-to-face with a Hitler bully. A beating appeared inevitable. This time, however, he walked away unhurt. Not because of what he did, because, but because of what he said. He did not fight back, he spoke up. He convinced the troublemakers that a fight was not necessary. His words kept the <clears throat> battle at bay. Heinz saw firsthand how the tongue 
can create peace. He learned the skills of using words to avoid conflict. And for a young Jew in Hitler-ridden Europe, that skill had many opportunities to be honed. Fortunately, Heinz family escaped from Bavaria, and they made their way to America. Later in life, he would downplay the impact those adolescent experiences had on his development. But one had to wonder, for after Heinz grew up, his name became synonymous with peace negotiations. His legacy became that of a bridge builder. Somewhere he had learned the power of properly placed words of peace. And one has to wonder if that training didn't come on the streets of Bavaria. But you don't know him as Heinz. You know him by his anglicized name, Henry. Henry Kissinger. Never underestimate the power of seed. Finally, the merit of peace, eternal sonship. At first glance, one may assume that the sons of God means the same as the children of God. And in fact, the King James translates it as children. But the terms are not identical. The phrase sons of God is a bestowed title indicating a special family relationship. The promise of this beatitude is that if you will be called, named, and recognized, and designated as a true son of God, maybe an illustration will help. Whenever I return to the area where I grew up, around people who knew my father, I'm likely to be asked the question, aren't you Jody's boy? I can even, I often hear, Man, as you get older, you look more and more like your dad. Even today, at over 60 years of age, I'm still Jody's boy. And you know, today, that title is one I like the best. Whenever we make peace by bringing people into a relationship God with God or by bringing two people together, we look a lot like God. It is the family resemblance that marks us as the sons of God. Several hundred years ago, a remarkable man was born. Although he was the son of an Italian cloth merchant and designed to be destined to be a knight, he abandoned the path of wealth and fame, choosing instead to wear a ragged cloak tied with a rope that he borrowed from a scarecrow. He went his days preaching and giving to others. He chose to live in utter poverty. History records that he was a noble, kind, humble, Christ-like man. Maybe one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. We know him today as St. Francis of Assisi. Centuries after his death, someone translated one of his prayers into English. It was later set to music. Many of you have heard these words and know them by heart. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. 
where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. When we live out this prayer, people will call us the sons of God. We can do nothing more godlike than to bring peace to those who are separated from God and from each other. We are called to peace. We are to actively pursue peace. We are to strive for peace with all men. And so far as it is within us, we are to live peaceably with all. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for watching us, loving us, never ceasing to work with us and to call us under yourself, never giving up on us when we fail. Father, help us to be instruments of peace. Father, we recognize that this is not a peaceful world in which we live, and we can never be more like you than when we bring peace among men and when we bring men peace with you. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much.